If you're tired of the superficial and you're craving real conversation about life, relationships, fears, doubts, and the divine in the middle of it, this is the place for you. My name is Anna Dimmel, and I'm a blogger, writer, and former pastor, and it's my passion to build bridges, not walls, through honest, real conversation and connection, and I want that for you. This is the show that will help you do that and give you not only inspiration and connection, but will help you leave the superficial for good and form the real connections you're craving. Your story matters, and I'm so glad you're here. Welcome. Hello and welcome back to the Behind the Mirror podcast. I'm so happy you joined us this week. Last week, we talked all about the deconstructing journey. And this week, I like to call this part two of last week's episode. This episode, I'm diving into the portion of deconstructing that seemed to resonate with so many of you. And that was the portion of loneliness, the portion of walking through what feels like a complete undoing of your life and your faith and your beliefs and how isolating and alone that can feel. So this week I'm going to dive into that and I'm going to unpack how much this resonates with with Jesus and a big portion of his journey and a big portion of his life. And so I'm excited about this episode. It's been when I've been kind of mulling over for a while and this week presented the perfect opportunity to talk about it. So super excited to dive into this conversation. And if you're joining us for the first time, welcome. Love having you here. We have a Facebook community that you can just dive into and connect with other people who are on maybe a similar journey as you. And it might give you some encouragement along the way. If you're not in that group, you can opt in through my website, just a jesusfollower.com backslash podcast backslash podcast group. And if you like this, if you like the work that's happening here, I encourage you to rate us on iTunes. Those reviews mean the world to me and they do help this work continue on. So if you're gaining from this, if you're getting something out of this, I would ask you to do me a favor and leave a review on iTunes. And for those of you that are super hardcore and really love this work and want to partner with me in it, you can easily do that by becoming a Patreon. I love my Patreons. We email every week and I invite them into the behind the scenes look at each episode and what I'm working on. And it's a great tight knit community that I would love to have you in. You can find more information about that also on my website, just to jesusfollower.com, and you click on the button Patreon. All of that being said, I love being on this journey with you. It is an honor, it is a joy, and it is truly becoming a passion of mine. So thank you for having me on this journey with you. It's a joy. Without any further ado, let's get into this episode. Here we go. I am diving into kind of what I would call the second portion of what I talked about last week. Last week on the podcast, 
I entertained this whole idea of there being four phases to deconstructing and how hard and scary and lonely and overwhelming it can feel. And a lot of the responses I got from you guys really centered around the step that included loneliness. And if you are on a deconstructing journey, I don't even have to like say more than just the word lonely. And you're just like, either in a puddle of tears or you are just deflated or you're just like, yep, raising my hand, that's me. This journey of of leaving your absolute concrete brick and mortar walls of religion and faith that you had built so tightly around you, when you leave that, there is, you know, this thing that we call deconstructing that we go through. And we talk about that a lot on the podcast, but What I want to center in on today is the part of that journey that includes loneliness. And if you have followed this podcast for a while, you know that I have gone through my own journey of deconstructing, but I've also gone through other relationship shifts and changes and life changes and um, changes in jobs, changes in parenting, changes with my kids, changes from being married to now being divorced. I mean, there's just been a long list of change. And so I have been up close and center with this portion of the journey of being alone and what all that can feel and not just feel like, but almost embody a lot of what maybe this season feels like for you. So I want to start by this picture that we see in the Bible of the wilderness. And um, I, you know, I cannot think of a word that would describe the journey I've been on in this portion of my walking through deconstructing that included being alone, other than you do feel completely dropped out in the wilderness. And, you know, when I say wilderness, you know, you think of something dry and desolate and empty and void of life and void of water and void of people inhabiting it, even though any animals inhabiting it, really, when you think of wilderness, you do think of just empty, dry desolation. And yet so many people choose this. And it's like, okay, if you get to the wilderness and you end up there and you see what it's really about, why would you stay? I mean, really, why why do we choose to stay in a place that can feel lonely and alone and dry and desolate and empty? Why would we choose that? I think the story in the Bible that talks about Jesus being led into the wilderness, I think it gives us um, a glimpse into the patterns of why people choose willingly to end up in a wilderness and why they stay there and what happens after they leave that place. So I want to start with that story. And um, my favorite part about the story, I, I might say, comes at the very beginning of it. And it says in, and this, of course, I'm reading from Matthew. It says that the spirit led him into the wilderness. Like that's like right out of the gate, like Matthew 4, 1. Then Jesus was led by the spirit into the wilderness. And you know, 
There is so much weight on just that idea of spirit leading you into an empty place. A lot of people who find themselves on a wilderness journey of sorts find themselves confused and scratching their head and feeling like everything has been blown to bits and I want to put my life back together because I didn't know it was going to look like this. And I, and I feel like I've made a mistake or I feel like I went too far or whatever. And you start questioning yourself and doubting yourself and doubting your decisions. And I think that there's so much merit in these words that say spirit led Jesus into the wilderness. Spirit is who leads into the wilderness. People don't lead themselves into a wilderness. People don't lead other people usually into a wilderness. Spirit calls you and draws you and pulls you away from familiarity. It pulls you away from institutions. It pulls you away from what has always been, what will probably continue to try to be, right? The status quo is spirit tugs and whispers and calls and pulls you away from that. And a lot of people, like we talked about last week, that freaks them out. They're like, whoa, 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 that cannot be God. That cannot be anything close to spirit because I need to stay right where I'm told I'm supposed to. But it doesn't take much research, at least in looking through scripture of people who have connected with the divine and people who have journeyed with God to see that God never does the status quo, like ever. As soon as there is a box, God is like, hmm, how can I unravel that? (laughs) So I think there's a fair argument to say, if you have not found yourself in a wilderness, Maybe the voices you are following are not that of spirit because spirit will always include leading you into a space that includes a wilderness journey. At some point along the path, you will be led into the wilderness. So I wanted to start with that lovely idea that You didn't just get here by accident. You got here because spirit led you. That alone breathes some some fresh air, doesn't it? It breathes some life. Um, What's interesting is right before Jesus went into the wilderness, it says that he was baptized by John the Baptist. And if you remember that portion of the story, that is when the heavens opened and the dove descends, you know, the beautiful, mystical, magical moment that that was. And I do believe that... Before one is called into the wilderness, a wilderness, whatever your wilderness looks like, there's a baptism of sorts that happens before that. Now, when I say baptism, I don't mean literally being dunked underwater, although maybe it was that for you. There, there are a lot of ways that, that one can be baptized, and, and I'm thinking more along symbolic lines here. I would say for me, I did go underwater deep before I was drawn into a wilderness and I was heavy underwater. 
And it almost felt like a baptism by fire for me because it was painful and it was long and it was hard, but it was, it was burning out of me things that needed to go. And during that baptism, it did feel magical. It did have its moments of like the heavens opening and me feeling so full of purpose and so filled with connection to God and God like stamping me and connecting with me. Like I felt all of those things and it was hard and it was painful, but it was also beautiful. So a lot of that included me becoming a pastor and me beginning to really step into owning myself and owning my voice. But shortly after that beautiful portion of my journey, spirit called me further. It didn't stop with this baptism moment. I was called out further. And I venture, I guess, that that is not just true for me and not just true in the Jesus story, but I think this is a pattern that is true for all of us. So once you see Jesus being led into the wilderness, the next portion of the story talks about how he was hungry and how he was tempted to tell stones to become bread. And I've heard this preached a gazillion times, but I don't know that anything really stuck with me as to what that could have really meant or how that relates to me now. And, you know, it's amazing now that I'm in what feels like a desolate, dry, tumbleweed blowing wilderness space, how much I'm connecting with this story. Because when you get here, you are hungry. And and I don't mean hungry for food. I think that this, um, this story is giving us a very literal picture. But for me, I am hungry for things that used to fill me up, things that used to comfort me, things that used to make me feel full and healthy and safe. I was thinking about this the other day, and and I think a good comparison is like junk food. Um, When you're on a diet of junk food, you do feel full for like a minute, but then you keep eating the junk food, right? Because it really doesn't satisfy you long-term. It's not like eating a healthy, hearty meal. It's junk food. It's temporary. I think for me, when I entered into this wilderness season, I started realizing how much I had lived on junk food. I started realizing how much of my relationships were junk food. Like they satisfied my hunger for a moment, but then it was empty. Like a few minutes later, um, so much of my community was junk food as in it, it filled it's, it like scratched the itch, if you will, of my need for community and my need for connection, but it never really satisfied me. It wasn't real enough for me. It wasn't, it didn't stick to my bones. And so when I think of hunger, in the wilderness, I think of your diet is changing. And so you are going to hunger for things you didn't know you were starving for. And the temptation here is to go back to eating rocks, right? Like he's, Jesus is tempted in the wilderness, turn those rocks into bread. Well, yeah, I could turn a rock into a, a friend. I could turn a rock into a community, but it's not going to be good, right? A rock is a rock. There's not much there. It's not like 
a satisfying, real, hearty meal. It's more like junk food that just scratches the surface of what you need, but it's not going to satisfy you long term. That for me has been a huge battle in this wilderness. And I mean mental battle day in, day out, because when you're alone and you're starved for community or you are starved for connection or you're starved for relationships because you used to have them and you don't have them anymore, you start thinking, I don't really care that they were junk food. I just, I mean, junk food is better than nothing, right? It's better than starving forever. So there has been this battle for me mentally of, okay, Anna, we're not going to live on candy and potato chips and ice cream. (laughs) We're going to hold out. We're going to let ourselves get hungry, but we're going to wait for a real meal. And slowly, I think as you start to come out of the wilderness, you start finding the real food. But there is a definite, definite chunk of this journey that includes being hungry. But the hunger is good. You just didn't know what you really needed to be eating before. Okay, so the next part of the story, isn't this so good, by the way? Like, I just, gosh, it's amazing how much of this lines up for me. Okay, so the next portion of this is where he is taken to the holy city and he stands on the highest point of the temple and he is tempted by the devil saying, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down for it is written. He will command his angels concerning you and they will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. And for a long time, this part, I was like, okay, really? Like Jesus, did you not see how he lived his life? He was super humble and like not materialistic. If you read any portion of the gospel story, this makes no sense to be to tempt Jesus of all people with this. It doesn't line up. But what does line up is this whole idea of throwing yourself down to see if God will catch you. And I don't know about you, but being out here in the wilderness, away from my absolute concrete beliefs that one plus one equals two, and if I do this, God's promise will magically come true. And if I say this prayer, and if I do this, and if I do that, and God will be pleased, God will bless me, I'll be protected, X, Y, Z. There is a big I guess I would call it a temptation to like, see if God still cares, like almost self-destruct a little bit to see if God would really come to your rescue. It's a weird thing, but there's a part of us that wants to know we will be rescued. There's a part of us, especially if you come from a faith background that wants to know you're still on the God side, like God still has your back. And I think this portion of the wilderness story for Jesus echoes that beautifully because here he is being tempted. Why? To go to this highest place and throw yourself down just to see if the angels would catch you. That sounds so silly, but it's like, no, there was probably a big part of him. And we see this, especially when you get to the crucifixion portion of his journey, where he's like, why have you forsaken me? You don't just spit words out of nowhere. 
Our words come out of our hearts. Usually when we say something, we've been thinking about it for a while. So the fact that this is what's thrown at him in the midst of his hunger, in the midst of the isolation and the loneliness, right? This idea of, huh, I wonder if God actually cares. There's a part in this journey that you will encounter that feels like that. I've encountered it. I've wrestled with this. And I have to go back to my sacred, holy place that does not include a building, that does not include a list of committed, said, stated, concrete beliefs, but a place that includes a connection, a place that includes relationship, a place that includes me knowing I am fully seen, I am fully loved, I'm fully known by the divine. And that's what this is built on. This is not built on do this so that God will like you, do that so that God will bless you, do this so that you will have God's favor. No, like we miss it when we focus on that. This journey. And this should be, I think, probably the most cementing portion of the wilderness, at least it has been for me, is is wrestling this part out where you wrestle out, what do I really believe about me? What do I really believe about my value in the eyes of, of God? Am I valuable enough just simply to be in relationship with? Or do I not hold any value unless I sign the dotted line on this huge statement of faith or this denomination or this stance or this political movement? Like, where does my value in the eyes of the divine really come from? Am I enough? This is a wrestling game in the wilderness. And I think you're not really in a wilderness until you've really hit this, because this is where for me, it got real and it got hard. And I realized just how far I have to go in this portion. The next part of this journey that we see with Jesus is, again, he's taken to a high mountain and he showed all the kingdoms of the world and all of their splendor. And the devil tells him, all this I will give to you if you bow down and worship me. And Again, like I said earlier, like, really, did you not see Jesus's life? He was super humble. He was not materialistic. That was not his deal. So why is it coming back to this? Why is this like your big grand finale of I'm really going to get him on this one? It makes no sense to me. And yet, and yet, When you're in the wilderness and you feel like you have been stripped of community, stripped of relationships, stripped of your comfort junkie food, whatever that looked like for you, when you've been stripped of maybe really knowing who you were and what your identity is really about, and it's just like you're stripped down to skin and bones, having a place of belonging such as, oh, I don't know, owning a whole city, like we see Jesus being tempted with, having a place of authority, having a place of being known and praised and accepted and paraded around. Yeah, it starts to sound really good. This is the moment where you come to to face what your compromise could be. 
we all have a compromise. And and I think in this portion of the wilderness, you have to to face the areas that you might not be proud of, but some of the things that you might be willing to, I don't know, kind of compromise on this belief or compromise on this conviction or compromise on this just for the sake of having my life back or for the sake of having my community back or for the sake of having my friends back or for the sake of restoring this relationship or repairing this, what am I willing to compromise? And when you start making internal deals like that to try to get something back or gain some sort of security back, that is the game. That is the wilderness. That is the the grand finale. That is it. Are you a person of compromise or are you not? And we can like dust this off and act like nobody faces this. And that all of us are just like, oh yeah, I'm super cemented in, in my deconstruction journey. And oh yeah, I've totally let go of this and that. Oh, have you really? Because I promise you there will come a time when you are faced with what, what are you really going to stand for. We're all standing for something. And the thing about the wilderness is that it strips you down to nothing but skin and bones. Nothing, nothing but skin and bones. And how you rebuild and walk out of that wilderness entirely depends upon these steps that we've talked about. Do you trade your hunger for junk food? Do you wallow and test God and try to figure out, does God really still care? And you start questioning your identity and you start questioning your value. And do you compromise all of the work that you go through in the wilderness simply to feel some sort of security again? The thing is, is that, and I, and I love that we see this modeled with Jesus, was that he didn't give in to any of those ideas or any of those temptations. He didn't. And after he left the wilderness, that is when everything exploded for him, like a brand new life started for him. It was like that wilderness was the line of demarcation for him of the what was and now what is. And what came after he emerged from this wilderness journey, he began to preach. Like, that's like exactly what happens next. He opens his mouth and he's like, here we go. This show is on. And as we all know, his preaching changed the world. He left an impact that is still resonating He called his first disciples after the wilderness journey. That was when he got his his close community was after the wilderness journey. And it wasn't a huge city that praised him and paraded him around. It It was 12 random people. And of those 12, just a few were really tightly knit to him. But he formed his his tribe. And then you start to see the supernatural stuff happening where he has the miracles of healing and these amazing stories that we read and we're like, what? Like supernatural stuff happened. And so to say that the wilderness journey is 
is just no big deal or like to downplay it that the loneliness portion of this is just not hard or that it's easy or that, oh, whatever, it's no big deal. Like, don't kid yourself. This is, this is legit. This is real. And, and I would argue that for those people that you might be thinking of that you're like, well, so-and-so didn't have to go through this and their life is great and they have a community and they've got a great marriage and blah, blah, blah. Okay. I would, I would argue the fact that if someone has not gone through a wilderness of sorts at some point in their spiritual journey, maybe they're not on a spiritual journey because I don't know any spiritual journey or journey of faith that does not include this. So truthfully, I would be a bit worried if my faith wasn't growing in the sense that I am landing in places unknown and I'm landing in places of internal battling and I'm landing in places of like, oh, this is hard. Oh, that's what I look like underneath all of the junk. Oh, that's what's really in there. Oh, that's what this has really been about for me. Okay. Okay. The wilderness does that to you. The wilderness strips you of everything and gives you a mirror. And you can either look at it or you can walk away. But those who choose to look and those who choose to fight these internal battles, life for you on the other side is amazing. And I'm saying this from a position of faith because I'm not on the other side of this either. And so I am trying to convince myself that the other side is going to be worth it. And there's something in me that that screams that it is, which is why I stay here because the spirit called me here and it's continuing to comfort me here and it's continuing to wrestle with me here and it's continuing to walk me through this. So I'm trusting blindly, as are many of you, that the other side of this is going to be so good and so worth it. And there's already things in this that are so good and so worth it, but it's all stuff inside me. I can't say that my external life has has changed much in profound ways yet, but my internal life, my authentic self, my inner peace, my inner dialogue, My connection with God, all of that is vastly different and vastly better, way better. And so I take comfort from the journey of Jesus in that after he left the wilderness, how amazing everything just was and how everything started clicking into place. And it's not like he had a super easy breezy life, but he had, he had purpose. He had a voice. He had community. He had connection. And he did his life's work. And that encourages me because we all have work to do. We all have a gift to bring. And I don't think that that fully is unlocked until we walk through the wilderness alone. So... That is my that is my ending round of this part two, if you will, of the deconstructing journey. And I hope it encouraged you. And I want you to know you're not alone and that 
there are a lot of us walking this too. And I'm excited to see where we all are on the other side. Peace. Hey there, I hope you enjoyed the conversation today. You can find my blog and links to my Instagram and Facebook account on my website at justajesusfollower.com. I hope you join us next week for another raw, honest conversation. In the meantime, go in peace and know that you are enough.